Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 450 with Jason Hansen. I think you'll enjoy this one because there's some intrigue. We got a former spy sharing some spy tips on influence. You'll learn one, the CIA's SADR cycle and how it applies to the workplace. Two, why research and authenticity are integral to successful influence. And three, how to advocate for your case at work. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to ads we've referenced, it's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP450. Now, here's Jason's story. Jason is a former CIA officer, and after leaving the CIA, Jason became the founder and CEO of Spy Escape and Evasion, a company that teaches men and women how to be safe using spy secrets that 99% of Americans will never know. In 2014, Jason won a deal to ABC's hit reality series Shark Tank and opened Spy Ranch, a 320-acre facility that teaches evasive driving, pistol and rifle shooting, intelligence operations, cybersecurity, and more. Jason regularly appears as a keynote speaker at corporate events, conferences, and conventions worldwide. He's appeared on the NBC Today Show, Dateline, Rachel Ray, Fox and & Friends, and more. And he's been interviewed by Forbes, NPR, The Huffington Post, and other media outlets. So thanks to Jason for spending some time with us, and thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. Working remotely can be a challenge, especially for teams that are new to it. How do you deal with your work environment being the same as home while staying connected and productive? And then there's your newest coworker, the cat. Well, your friends at Trello have been powering remote teams globally for almost a decade. At a time when teams must come together more than ever to solve big challenges, Trello's here to help. Trello, part of Atlassian's collaborative suite, is an app with an easy-to-understand visual format plus tons of features that make working with your team functional and just plain fun. Trello keeps everyone organized and on the same page, helping teams communicate, focus, and connect. Teams of all shapes and sizes at companies like Google, Fender, Costco, and likely your favorite neighborhood coffee shop all use Trello to collaborate and get work done. Try Trello for free and learn more at Trello.com. That's T-R-E-L-L-O.com. Trello.com. Here is Jason. Jason, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm so excited to dig into your stuff. You've got a fun angle. And I imagine you're probably not going to give me any really cool stories from your time in the CIA because I've pressed before with Navy SEALs on the show where they never give up the goods. So uh, good patriots, y'all, you guys. So maybe you could give us a fun story about uh, being on Shark Tank. Well, Shark Tank was a wonderful opportunity. It was a huge blessing because before I was doing a lot of consulting to corporations and Shark Tank kind of opened me up to the masses and introduced me to the, the everyday person, if you will. So it was, a, it was a great thing. I mean, I can tell you one funny quick story is I recorded right after Diamond Dallas Page, who was the wrestler who did his yoga thing. Mm -hmm. And I just remember getting back after I did my recording and hearing a bunch of screaming and yelling between people. And I remember thinking, huh, maybe his presentation didn't go so well. Fortunately, mine did. And again, it was a it was a fun ride. I had a good time. Well, I'm so curious. So I've seen the show many times, but uh, are there any surprises like, hey, you might not expect this, you know, viewer as you're watching the show, but it's really like this for me. Like, just how long are you in front of the sharks? I understand there's a very awkward moment where you're just standing, staring them down <laughs> while they're getting the cameras and the lights just right. What's the, the inside story of, of how it feels to be there? 
Well, the inside story is you only get one chance. So it's basically a cattle call, you know, where they have people lined up all day. So they say, hey, you're going on at 10, you're going on at 1130 or whatever your time is. And you only get one chance. So there's no do-overs. If you screw up, it is what it is. But I was in the tank about 55 minutes. And of course, they boil it down to less than 10 minutes. So out of that 55 minutes, sometimes I look brilliant. Sometimes I look like the world's biggest idiot. So you never know how they're going <laughs> to how they're going to blend things together. That's funny. Well, well, don't you worry, Jason. We will edit out only the times that uh, one of us look real dumb. So I love usually over 98% of the words get used in, in most podcasts. Uh, so in my experience, so, so good stuff. Well, then I want to hear what you've been up to with regard to uh, spy skill training and particularly how that can be useful for workers, those who want to apply some of your, your CIA brilliance to doing better on the job? Well, so after I left the agency, you know, I started my own company where I do survival training, but I also do business coaching and training. And in the business world versus the CIA, there isn't a whole lot of difference in the meaning of you've got to go out, you got to go close deals, you've got to work with people, you've got to network. And spies are the world's best salesmen because they're selling a very hard product. They're selling treason. But there is a very distinct cycle that you go through to close deals that I've now applied to the business world and anybody can. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to hear a bit about that and, and to hear about it, not just in sort of a, a sales, you know, prospecting and, and customer acquisition perspective, but also in terms of the, the worker who, who may not be in a sales role. So, so lay it on us. What, what is the, the cycle? Sure. So the cycle is the, I'll just, I'll spell it out. It's the SADR cycle. And it stands for spotting, assessing, developing, and recruiting. So kind of the 30,000-foot overview is if you're in the CIA or you're a spy and you're going over to Russia and you're trying to recruit somebody to spy on behalf of the United States, first you have to spot them, meaning who are the best people that have access to the intelligence you want? It's certainly not everybody. Then let's say you narrow it down to 20 people. Then you have to assess them. Out of these 20, who truly has access to that extreme amount of data you need. And then it boils down even further. And then after you've spotted assess, you have to develop them, which really makes means make them fall in love with you. Make them want to help you. And this is whining and dining. This is buying them things. It's, it's like the dating. It's courtship. And if all goes well, after you do spotting, assessing, developing, then you recruit them. And it's basically, hey, you know, my name's John. I work for the CIA. How would you like to work for us? Now, it's a lot more in-depth than that. But that's the cycle, and you can apply to anything and everything. Mm -hmm. Okay, certainly. Well, so sure thing. So let's talk about how we go about doing some of the, the spotting, for starters. Uh, how do we figure out uh, great people? And I guess th that varies by your context, like great people to, to hire, great people to maybe buy your stuff, uh, great people that you just want to be networked with internally to, to be an asset to you and vice versa. Uh, so, but, but how do you, you go about doing the spotting in your different contexts? Sure. So now in the business world, because of technology, it's super easy. Let's say I'm looking to hire somebody who's a Facebook expert, and I personally want to work with the best. So I can go out and locate by you know Google searches. Um, I have a very good network, so I can talk to all my buddies in the business world and say, hey, who are the best guys in the world to Facebook ads? Then I can maybe get 10 names, maybe 20 names, whatever it is. So that is my quote-unquote hit list. So whether you want Facebook guys, or maybe you want a PR agency, or maybe you're looking for an employee that has a very unique skill set is narrow it down to those 20 people, 25 people. And then that's when you start assessing them. That's when you see, okay, out of these 20 or 25, 
who really has the goods. Yeah. Okay. And how does one go about doing that assessing? Well, there's many ways. So it goes back to, okay, I teach lie detection skills. So you can interview them, asking questions. So you can see if they're being honest with you. You can run background checks on them to see if they legitimately did what they said they've done. You, of course, talk to others. You get referrals. You say, hey, show me case studies. Tell me references that I can call. So you, you basically put them through the ringer, not in a bad way, but in a good way. And that quickly weeds people out because a lot of people may not want to do that or may be arrogant. And you say, maybe that guy's not the person I want to work with because they're not very friendly. They're not a jerk. So obviously it takes time. But if you're trying to grow a business and you really want to work with the best and be the best yourself, it's worth investing this time to do the research to find the quality people. Certainly. So, but I'd love to hear then. So, what are some of the the secret sauce then when it comes to doing the assessment? Because I, I think everybody's going to say, "Tell me about a time that you were on a team and you had a conflict and how you resolved that conflict." So, what's some of the the special stuff? So, one of the questions I always ask, and I always start out baselining and meaning I ask them questions that nobody's going to lie about. I see how they act when they're comfortable. So, hey, where are you from? Where did you grow up? How many siblings do you have? What movies do you like? Just generic stuff. And then out of left field, I'll ask him a question such as, tell me the last time you stole something or tell me the last time you did drugs. So <laughs> questions that hit him hard. Now, that just sounds like fun, Jason. I want you to interview me. Well, most people <laughs> will be honest and say, hey, in sixth grade, I stole a Snickers bar from the grocery store, that kind of thing. Uh-huh. But when it comes to lie detection, you pay attention to the first three to five seconds of a response. Honest people answer very quickly and their face doesn't look nervous. But if somebody starts stuttering or they have the deer in the headlights look after you ask them that question, something's wrong and you're probably about to be lied to. And I have had that instance where somebody did lie to me, finally came clean and told me they stole a ton of office supplies from a <laughs> former employer. So obviously I didn't hire them. But <laughs> I asked those questions because very quickly I can say, okay, is this person honest or are they already going to lie to me about stealing or about doing drugs? You know, it's so funny, Jason, as, as you asked me, I had to think for a moment when's the last time I stole something. And I think it's probably, I guess, if you think about time, like when you're being paid for your time, like if I'm being paid by a client yep. and I'm not giving them 100% of my attention, but rather, you know, 97%, it's like I've stolen that 3% from them. <laughs> so that's the last time I stole, Jason, was uh, by entertaining distractions. And, and you never stole candy from the, the supermarket? You never stole it? Well, I'm thinking the last time I stole was <laughs> was probably you know not paying perfect attention with a client. In terms of stealing, I think maybe oh boy, in college I went on a real bender in terms of um, there was something called MyTunes, which when you're on a shared network enabled you to download music from other people's iTunes. And uh, yeah, I probably stole more than 500 songs. All right, so this um, is basically like Napster you're stealing Kind of like Napster, okay, yeah. So th there's some stealing there. Yeah, boy, all my sins are coming to light, Jason. You're a criminal I didn't, mastermind. <laughs> I didn't bank on this being where we were headed. So yeah, my, my apologies. I now have the utmost respect for intellectual property. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, cool. So that's the assessing. So, so then you, so you're looking for, well, let's talk about the deception for a bit since you're a pro here. So you, you establish a baseline and then you ask them a question sort of with a surprise, shock it off factor. When's the last time you stole something? And then you look to see if you get a quick response response or, or during the headlights or, or, or super nervous and stuttering? And, and what else am I looking for to see if, if there's lying or truthfulness happening? 
So the feet, we are very terrible at controlling our feet. Yes, so, Joe Navarro was on the program, and, and we talked about this. And, I, you know, I don't know him personally, but I read his book, a fantastic book. Yeah. And so I do that, too. I mean, I'll sit because we're used to lying with our mouths. You know, people lie all the time with their mouths. So I'll see, okay, has the feet been still the entire time, but now they're jiggling, now they're, you know, uncomfortably tapping, is something going on like that? So it doesn't take long. There's about, you know, nine or so things I pay attention to, and I can very quickly tell you Let's if you're being it. honest or not. Well, I mean, uh, again, one of the questions I ask, too, when I'm dealing with people who want to JV with me, a lot of times, because I was on Shark Tank, I now get pitch deals like crazy, which is great, except, you know, 99% of them are junk, and there's one that's actually good. So I'll get someone who says, hey, Jason, you know, we made $5 million last year, and blah, blah, blah. And I always ask, okay, show me the proof. And that shuts people up very, very quickly. Like, if you're going to quote numbers to me, show me the proof. So we bank statements, merchant accounts, whatever it may be. But also, when people are lying, they tend to freeze if you want another one. So if they're mm. very animated, but in a liar's mind, if you retract and stop moving, you're like going in a tortoise shell, and they think, you know, nobody will see me, nobody will notice me. So the example I like to give is if I went somewhere, left my wallet at the cafeteria and came back and there were a bunch of people around and my wallet was missing and I started saying like, who stole my wallet? I was angry. Normal people would be exhibiting normal behavior and be like, I didn't take it. I'll help you look for it. I would look for the person who was being the least animated and the most quiet because they would be trying to hide and blend in. They would be quote unquote freezing and most likely they'd be the guilty verdict. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're quiet all of a sudden. What is going on? I'm thinking about a time in which, oh man, someone I knew, we were in a babysitting situation. So there was a home-based sort of like a babysitting daycare situation over the summer. And I was there and I remember someone had written a nasty letter to someone else. I knew who did it. And then when they said, hey, who wrote this? I was totally like super like quiet. But whereas everyone else was like, oh my gosh, that's a terrible right. thing to write. Who would do that? <laughs> like that's what everybody else was doing. And I was, and I was like saying nothing. <laughs> so yeah, there you have it. In action, it happened. <laughs> we are very bad liars in real life. So when I was uh -huh. at the agency, I could lie because it was my job. There was no guilt associated. But in real life, I'm a terrible liar. You can see right through me because we all do the same thing. Like you said, we all freeze. We all stutter. We all look nervous in the face because it's not normal and natural to lie. You know, that's interesting when you mentioned it was your job to lie. And so you did so. And, and I found that in certain contexts in which it's, it's sort of like I'm, I'm playing a role or it's for a joke. It's like, I'm pretty good at it. But then like impromptu, I'm terrible at it. And so that, that's an interesting mindset that you speak to there. Tell me more about that. Well, I mean, when you're when it's your job, and again, with the agency, you're doing it for your country. You're very patriotic, and there's no guilt associated with it because that is your job. But if you and I are going down the highway, and we've got a dead body in the back of our car, and we get pulled over by the mm -hmm. cops, you better believe both of us are going to be sweating bullets and looking nervous and because we know if they find that dead body, we're in big trouble. So it kind of goes, is there guilty association where you're going to be nervous, or is there no guilt? So what do they say? 2% of the world or 1% are psychopaths slash sociopaths. That's why polygraphs are not admissible in court, because there is that very small percentage who can lie and they don't exhibit normal behavior. But, you know, 98% of us, 99% of us are normal. And you can see right through us when we're lying because we have a guilty conscience mm. about what we're doing.
That's reassuring that I am not a sociopath, <laughs> uh, <laughs> despite my music, uh, the grand larceny of my youth. Okay, well, you said nine things I wasn't counting, but uh, have we ticked them all off or are there a couple more? Well, I mean, some of these are when I do, and I'm, I don't know, I don't know how many we've done, but I'll tell you another one. A, a very easy one. This is when something is missing because a lot of the lie detection stuff I do is a corporation has something go missing. And so they'll bring you in and say, hey, find out who stole the stuff in the warehouse or who stole the money out of the account. And if anything ever goes missing, pass a piece of paper around to everybody who you know is part of that group and say, write down what should happen to the person that stole the money or that stole the stuff out of the warehouse. <laughs> and the person who writes the least punishable thing is almost always guilty. Meaning, if you ask you and me, like, hey, you know, the person that stole a million dollars from the account, what should happen to them? We'll say, well, they should get fired. They should go to jail. They should get the electric chair. They should be banned for life. Well, the guilty party will be like, well, if they return the money, maybe they can keep their job. Like, it's one of these things, was it the Sesame Street? Like, one of these things is not like the other. Mm -hmm. So you'll have all these responses, which are typical human responses. Then you'll have the one response stands out of, it's not a bad punishment because that's the guilty party. Okay, understood. Well, so, so these are sort of fun as we're talking about uh, assessing people in terms of their, their honesty and integrity. How do you go about assessing them just in terms of, okay, do you really have the goods, the, the skills? So in the CIA or any intelligence operative, you have to be very resourceful. And it's not like you're in the military where you've got a platoon or a million people behind you. You're pretty much on the street and you're alone and you're doing your thing. There's no backup. So you've got to be very resourceful and creative. Well, when people work for my company, I want the same thing. I want resourceful people. I don't want to have to babysit them. So I like to make up something bizarre and have them either do it or tell them how I would do it. And a, and a bizarre example, I don't know why this is jumping to my mind, is if I said, hey, I want a horse in my office in the next four hours, get a horse in my office. Could they do that? Do they have the creativity to go Google and rent the horse and figure out how to get the horse? So I give them some unique <laughs> thing where, hey, you've got three hours to get me this answer or whatever. Because if they can't figure that out, then clearly they're not creative and not somebody you want to hire. So they get the job if a horse shows up or, or if, how does that work? If Mr. Ed is in my office within four hours, they're good to go. That's great. Well, uh, that could get a little costly. I don't know what horse rentals run these days, but uh, it, it's so funny when you frame it as a challenge. I think you also get a sense about the attitude like, oh my gosh, what the heck? This is weird. Or, you know, versus I'm excited. I was like, heck yes. Let me get on Yelp right now and see what I can do. I'll post it on Facebook, see if I got someone who can hook it up. And um, you know, it's sort of like, I'm excited to spring into action to see if I can make it happen just for the fun of it. It's like a challenge is like, do you have what it takes? Well, because in my business, and I run a few businesses, it's very bizarre, meaning one day you may be doing X, one day you may be bodyguarding a celebrity, one day we may be doing training on a base of driving and crashing cars. I mean, it's all kinds of unique things. And so the people I hire, I tell them it's not going to be sitting at the desk every single day, you know, looking at a spreadsheet. You have to be able to get out of your comfort zone. I mean, I send you to a trade show in Washington, D.C. one day, and then the next day you're going and help me with an interview kind of thing. So if they can't think outside the box and be comfortable in many situations, they're not going to last in my company. Okay. All right. So, so that's the assessing. And then how about developing? All right. Developing. As I mentioned, this is the courtship period. This is when you're making them fall madly in love with you. So if you're trying to get somebody to obviously betray their country and commit treason, you need to make sure they love you, that you're best friends. So this can be, a lot of it is the law of reciprocity, meaning I'm taking him out to dinner and buying him a $1,000 dinner. 
I am taking out and buying new clothes. You know, I'm taking them to the nice nightclubs or whatever. We're hanging out. I'm basically giving them the life they wish they had. So you make them fall in love with you. By the time it comes to, hey, I'm ready to pitch them, they feel so indebted to you. It's like, oh my gosh, Jason has bought this, 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 and this. Then yes, I'm going to get them X or Y or Z, whatever he requires. Now, developing can take months, can take years. Obviously, it's a case-by-case basis in the intelligence operative world. But you don't ever pitch someone. You don't get to the point where you're recruiting them, recruit, pitch, same thing. Until you've developed them so well that you know there's a 100% chance they're going to say yes. And that is the key. Now, I guess what I wonder with developing is, so like, do they know who you are and what you're up to? Like the whole time that you're courting them? Or, or how does that work? Now, I'm giving you hypotheticals, of course. but Certainly. <laughs> betray. Yeah. So let's say I went over to whatever country. Let's just pick China out of the blue. And I would say I'm an American businessman and I maybe work for this tech company back in America and we're trying to learn more about missiles or whatever it would be, you know, obviously wouldn't be missiles, but something. And then, you know, I have a big slush fund because I'm over here. So they let me take people out to dinner. So at first they have no idea, but the people you're trying to recruit eventually figure it out. I mean, they don't know hundred percent sure, but they're like, okay, he probably works for the government. So when it comes to the recruiting part, the way you kind of pitch it, and there's many ways, but one way is like, listen, Joe, you know, we've known each other for eight months now. We've known each other for a year, whatever. And you've probably guessed I really don't work for XYZ Corporation. I work for the US government. And guess what? I'm a spy. How would you like to be a spy with me? Wouldn't that be awesome? We could both be spies. That sounds corny, but that is one of the ways you do it and it works. I'm not I'm not kidding either. <laughs> Let's be spies. It's like, let's be friends. <laughs> All right. So I guess in a way, well, I'll let you comment on that. Why is that an effective way to ask? Well, first again, you don't ask until you're 100% sure because in the spy right. world, if you screw up and you go ask and the guy says, I need to think about it or maybe and he's going to get back to you. Well, if he doesn't say yes on the spot, the next time you meet him again, you may have a bag put over your head or you may end up in a foreign prison because he goes and tells you know the Russian government that you just tried to recruit him. So uh-huh. you know he's going to say the Russians are the Chinese are in cahoots in this. <laughs> so <thing. laughs> you, you know he's going to say yes, but it's effective because in business you got to know your customer, right? Well, when you're trying to recruit somebody, you know them better than they know themselves. So you would know in that instance that he wanted adventure, that he was a bored scientist, and that he would love to be a spy. That would be thrilling for him. Okay, I hear you. So you you've zeroed in on a need, and you're delivering on that need. Correct. So so I'll ask you a question. What do you think the number, not the number one, but one of the main reasons that people spy for the U.S. is, if you had to guess? Okay. I'm going to say they would love to have themselves and their family escape their nation and be in the United States instead. Pretty darn close. It's education for their children. Oh, okay. So when, when a U.S. person, when somebody betrays America, it's almost always for money. But when huh. we're trying to recruit somebody from some, you know, crap whole country and they've got kids, they want an education for their children. They want to say, hey, I want my kids to be able to come to the U.S. where they have the opportunity to go to a great university. So okay. once you know somebody's hot button, that's when you push it, whether it's adventure, whether it's an education. And that's what you obviously figure out over time. And so then, well, I guess they have to be able to get admitted, huh? Or you've got ways to make that happen, too. We've heard a thing or two about how that can unfold. And you know what? I'm just going to watch no comment or I can neither confirm the yeah, buy right, or uh-huh. what, whatever you want to say there. So Right. Well, so, so that's intriguing then. Okay. So 
Fascinating. All right. So with, the, with regard to making them fall in love with you, so we talked about that in a spy context, but let, let's talk about sort of a workplace context. So, I mean, you probably have less capacity to provide lavish dinners and, and entertainment, et cetera. So, so what are the ways that you recommend people develop relationships with uh, potential allies stateside without the the government's slush fund well yeah it doesn't take much money i mean when the the, the government obviously has unlimited funds our our tax dollars that seem to be unlimited but for you and me we don't have to spend a bunch it, it's the little things like it, it, i keep going back to courtship you're trying to court a woman and so you know if you know what they like hey i know you love whatever book i bought this book for you or hey i saw this clipping in the newspaper that talked about seven ways to help your kid with reading i know you mentioned your kid is having trouble reading so you do little things to show you care about it so it doesn't cost any money to clip out a magazine or buy you know spend 15 bucks on a book from amazon but if you're thinking about it like whoa jason really pays attention to me jason really cares about me and obviously when you show somebody care about them the more they want to work with you or work for you or help you Right. Yeah. So that, that's good. So, so you sort of notice, I guess it's not that different after all. You, so you notice their need, you know, maybe it's in the spy example, it was education for their children. In this instance, it could be any number of things. And then you sort of proactively make it happen. And you know, what's interesting is people have needs all the time. Uh, and I'm thinking like over the last, uh, you know, couple of years, we, we bought this house and, and property and it seems like we've had a heck of a time finding different people for miscellaneous renovation, whether it's landscaping or carpet or, you know, carpentry, plumbing, electrical, you like, you know, you name it. It's like, there's always something. And if, if someone were to, to say to me, Hey, Pete, you know, I found this amazing electrician who's super reliable at a great price that would make me say, you're my best friend. You have you have met uh, my most uh, what an urgent need that that is maybe not super important but urgent you know in, in my mind and so I I love you as a result. Well, and you're 100 right. We're so busy and self absorbed in the world we live in today yeah. <laughs> that nobody does the personal touch. Like you know, I'll write handwritten letters to some of my you know best customers. I'll send thank you notes, and most business owners never take the time. You know, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you another example is I've never sent a text message in my life. I don't text. Yeah, I just, I, a personal preference, I have a flip phone. I have no desire to text. But I get people who text me every once in a while to try and pitch me. And they're like, hey, I got your, you know, your number from a friend of a friend of a friend. I have this great product. You interested? And I'm like, you didn't do any research on me whatsoever because in multiple of my books and multiple articles I've written, I mentioned how I never sent a text. And here I am doing it again. So, most people don't do the deep, deep research and are lazy, but if you do, you figure out those things and it's much easier to close people these days because nobody else is putting in the effort. You know, I like what you're saying here, Jason, and I'm thinking about it in the context of, well, hey, just my podcast. I mean, I think the plurality of emails I receive these days are, hey, I want to be on your podcast, which is flattering. Thank you. But, you know, also it just feels a little bit like, you know, I, I'm so much more <laughs> yeah, <laughs> as absolutely. a human being, you know, I have so much to offer, you know, beyond just a, a publicity opportunity. So I'm intrigued then if you're if you're reaching out cold, well, we know what not to do is is do zero research and be kind of uh, not at all aligned to kind of how you operate. Uh, but what are some of your, your pro tips for when you're doing, uh, I guess you talked about the spotting and assessing and, and, and developing. Let's say that we're developing from, from ground zero. We've spotted them and we've assessed them from afar. Like, oh, wow, that would be an amazing person to come work for me or to buy my product or to promote something. How do you recommend making the very first steps in this courtship? So what I recommend is in, in the intelligence operative world, you give people gifts. 
and you find out what they want. So let's say they love scotch. You get them, I don't know anything about scotch, but you get them a great bottle of scotch and you send it to them and give it to them. They'll think that's the greatest thing in the world. So what I do is if I'm trying to work with somebody or you know somebody I don't know out of the blue, I will send them a box of gifts along with my stuff. So if I know they love, and I'm just making this up, railroad books or whatever, I may say, hey, you know, I'm Jason mm, Hansen. Here's what I do. Here is a book on railroads. I heard you love these. Also, here's some of my books, just so you know who I am, that I'm not a total nut job who reached out of the blue. So it, it depends on how big of a customer or client they could be, but I'll put together a fancy, nice gift box with all this stuff showing that I took the time to really get to know them and spend a hundred bucks because you know it could be worth a gazillion times that to me. So I like sending a big box of stuff if I'm really trying to go after somebody. <laughs> you know, I like that because I'm just thinking about, since we're talking about podcast pitching, yeah, no one has sent me a physical gift in advance. You know, they send them afterwards, like, thank you. I appreciate that, which, mm -hmm. and, which is nice of them. Thank you. But that's good. So that's kind of like your introduction is like, hey, I've learned a little bit about you and I thought you'd like this. Here you go. And there you have it. And, and you're right. That's that's quite rare. That doesn't happen much. So here's a real pedestrian question, maybe easy for a, a former intelligence officer. So how do you, let's say all you have is a person's website or maybe even just an email address and a name. How do you get their snail mail address for this opening introductory gift? So yeah, I you know I do research. I'd search the email many places. I'd see if there was anything attached to it. Now sometimes there's not. Sometimes all you have is an email, and there's nothing else. Well then you've got to have a killer unique email and a totally you know, not bizarre but totally unique subject line. So in the intelligence world, if you want to get somebody's attention, you want them to notice you. You're not going to be boring. You're not going to be weird. You got to stand out. You're going to make them notice you and be like, hey, let's be friends. I'm this American businessman. Can I take you out to dinner? So whatever the subject line is, it just can't be like, I would like to ask you a question. It's got to be, again, I'm not coming up with anything for some reason. I keep thinking of horses because we've talked about horses earlier. Sure. We can do horses. <laughs> but you, you've, and you've got to write it like you talk. Like, in, you know, yeah. and I use the truth of mine too. I say, Hey, Bob, I'm sorry you sent you this email. I look like crazy for your physical address, but I couldn't find it. So I'm going to keep this short because you're busy. And I'm lucky because I'm former CIA. So a lot of times the subject line is, you know, former CIA officer wants to talk to you kind of thing. And that gets open the majority of the time. So use whatever unique hook you have that'll make you stand out from the crowd. Okay, cool. All right. Well, so that's developing. And, and how about the actual uh, recruiting? So yeah, this is the time where you're going to come and say, you know, hey, again, I'm not the American businessman. I work for the government. How would you like to spy with me? How would you like to? And this is where you you push whatever the button is. If they want money, I can give you some examples. There are many countries in this world where it's normal to have a mistress. So it's not a big deal. The wives know, even though you don't throw in their face. And these guys need money for their mistresses. So you would come with a nice fat envelope and say, you know, hey, Bob, you know, as you might have guessed, here's who I work for. I'd love you to continue helping us. You've been a great friend. And guess what? I've got this $5,000 in this envelope, and I can give it to you now and then give you $5,000 every single month for your help. What do you think? And you take that envelope out. You put it on the table. You put your hand in it while you're talking. You know, you don't just push it over. You make them really, really want it, and you make them say yes. You make them commit. Then you can slide it over to them where they can touch it. So that is, I mean, it's... 
It's not a huge event because you already know they're going to say yes or you wouldn't do it. Okay, certainly. So you, you present it such that they can desire it all the more and it's not yet theirs until they, they've said yes. Okay, cool. Correct. Well, well, this was fun. So I have so much I wanted to ask you about. So let, let me see here. You talk about the, the concept of active awareness. That sounds great. What exactly is it and why is it good and how do we get it? It is keeping your head up, looking around, not having your head buried in the cell phone and basically paying attention to your surroundings. So if you're trying to close a deal or even walking down the street, what I do is I, I play a game where if I'm walking through the airport, I'll just quickly describe everybody like white male, red hat, blue shorts, about six foot tall, black female, big earrings, sandals, flip, whatever it may be. So then I'm looking around, taking in my surroundings. You know, most people live in zombie land where they have no idea what's going around. So if you're a business person, observing, seeing what they wear, seeing their office and really looking around, that may be a key to closing the deal if you see that little nugget of information you need. So just pay attention. Don't don't walk around like a drone. So you're just saying in your head, like d- descriptions of what you're seeing, like blue wallpaper, uh, you know, or, or, or whatever that is, just what, what's there. You're, you're sort of sub-vocalizing the description of the stuff. Correct. Because it makes your mind think, so your mind doesn't fall asleep and it forces you to look around at your surroundings so you see what's going on. That way, you, okay. you know, you can't be looking at your feed at whatever digital device you have. All right. Super. And so then, so that just sounds like a good thing. In practice, what are the advantages of, of having it? Is that you're, you're more successful because you see what's going on. You see things other people miss. Before I, we talked about Shark Tank, I read every book they'd ever written. I watched every episode. I knew every question they asked. I knew everything about their families. I watched every interview they ever did. I knew them backwards and forwards. And I actually use that. Remember, I was in there for almost an hour and they boiled down to 10 minutes. And I know some of the key things I threw out helped me get the deal because I observed their body language, how they were moving, what they were wearing. And most people are probably not as observant as I was. Certainly. Well, well, I can't let that go. So body language, there's a lot of ambiguity there, but you, you mentioned feet earlier. Are there any other sort of just key body language things you notice over and over and over again that prove quite useful as you're interacting with folks in in work settings? Well, I mean, most of them were common sense, meaning do they look interested? Are they smiling? Do they lean forward? Like when I was on Shark Tank, I could see who was leaning back on the chair. And then as I said certain things, they literally leaned forward. I was like, all right, I've got these two. These are the ones I'm going to focus on, dedicate more time because they're clearly paying more attention at the moment. Mm -hmm. So it's all stuff that it doesn't take a spy to see. All of us can quickly pick up if they look bored or they're leaning forward or they're crossing their arms in disgust or they're open and they're they're being animated and talking because they're excited. So it's easy to pick up on. Okay, cool. And so then I want to get your take on how do you recommend that we apply some of these approaches to just better advocate for ourselves? in terms of we are are trying to make the case that you deserve the promotion or the opportunity or the raise or to be heard. Deep research. So deep research on everybody else. So if you want to raise, why do you deserve a raise of the other five people in your office? And what proof? So in the intelligence business, you got to have proof for everything. Meaning somebody says, hey, we need you to take out this terrorist. Well, what's the proof that they did something? What is the proof that they're behind it? You know, if you're going to take someone's life or snatch someone off the streets, you got to make sure you have all the, the details. So the same thing, if you come in, why do you deserve a raise? Oh, I've been here five years. Well, I don't care if you've been here five years. What have you contributed? So have files, have all the, you know, hey, I made an extra $5 million for the business off of this project alone. So come in, pretend you're in front of a jury 
And you've got to have proof beyond a reasonable doubt. And if you do that, then there's no reason you should be able to get the promotion or get whatever you're looking for in life. All right. And so when people are trying to apply some of the stuff that you're teaching, are there any sort of ways that they mess it up? Like uh, they're, they're trying to implement it and they make this mistake over and over again. What should we watch out for? You have to be authentic. All right. So when you're trying to recruit somebody and you're trying to make them fall in love with you, if you're faking it and you're not showing empathy and really caring about this person, they can see right through it. And it's the same thing in the business world. So if somebody's trying to close a deal on me, I can tell when they're being fake, the old cliche of like, there's a sailboat, a uh, model sailboat on the table. And it's like, you like sailing? I like sailing. And of course, you know, they don't know anything about sailing. So you've got to be genuine and authentic <laughs> because people are not idiots and they will spot it. I like sailing. <laughs> <laughs> I, like I, sailing. I don't know anything about sailing. It's so. funny. You like sailing? I like sailing. Well, that's funny. Back to podcast pitches. Uh, they, a lot of times, I think that people have been coached to start with a compliment but it's sort of like, I don't think you've ever actually heard the show. That's just sort of something that you're saying <laughs> in the hopes of, right, because right. someone told you you're supposed to do that. So that's good. So, so you're the authentic. Well, but that's interesting. Well, when it comes to the authentic, I mean, you do want something from them. And that is why you're having that conversation. But you're still authentic in the sense that, how would you distinguish it? Well, you're on the authentic of, hey, I really want to work with you. If you're flattering them because they're the best at what they do. You're not using cheesy flatter. You're being genuine in your compliments to them. Like, hey, I really do admire how you wrote this book. Or I really do admire the way you do your podcast interviews. So you can be authentic in all of that. And then, of course, you've got to offer them something. So, you know, you don't want to come out like in the intelligence world. Here's 5000 bucks. If you do this, I'll give you 5000 bucks a month. You've got to have something that's going to make it worth their while because people are busy. So what is going to be beneficial for them to work with you and obviously be able to present that? Beautiful. Well, Jason, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. No, I already know your life story and how you're a criminal. So I think we're good to go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's the essentials. Well, how about a favorite quote? Something you find inspiring? Something I find inspiring. A favorite quote. There was a, I think it was a book like tough times never last, but tough people do. And I don't know. I think it was a book or a quote doesn't matter. So I love that because in the intelligence world and also in the business world, there's always going to be tough times, but you got to keep on trucking, never give up. And those are the successful people. And how about a favorite study or experiment or bit of research? I love psychology. I try and read all kinds of psychology books. Robert Cialdini has written some oh, great yeah. books on that. I'm a fan of his. Mm -hmm. I read sales books because when it comes to business and when it comes to humans and it comes to getting people to spy, it's all psychology. It doesn't change. So Bob Cialdini's books, Influence, Science and Practice, as well as Presuasion, are amazing. Uh, any others that you really love? I love, I mean, I'm old school. The old Zig Ziglar sales books, just learn from them. Tom Hopkins. I'm the kind of guy who reads all kinds of books because even if I get just one nugget, it's worth it for me. And how about a favorite tool? Something that helps you be awesome at your job? A tool. I'm, I'm a gun guy. I love guns. I love knives. I love flashlights. I'm like a gear junkie. If you come to my house, I've got tents and sleeping bags and, and all kinds of survival and outdoors gear. And a favorite habit? Favorite habit. Well, I like and don't like. I wake up at 4.30 every morning. So not necessarily that I like up waking early, but I like being productive and be able to get a lot of work done that most people are not able to. And what time do you go to bed at night? I go to bed at 9 if I can. The latest uh -huh. 10. But yeah, I'm trying to be in bed at 9 every night. And is there a key thing that you share that often gets quoted back to you, a, a nugget that you're known for? You know, I kind of, I teach people anti-kidnapping skills, especially how to escape duct tape since that's the number one way people all over the world are kidnapped. 
So a lot of people know me from teaching people how to escape duct tape. Yes. And while we're on the topic, what's the trick for escaping duct tape? Well, it's going to be hard to say on the radio, but basically when your hands are duct taped together, you put them high over your head and then bring them down and pull apart as if you're elbowing somebody from behind. And that will allow you to escape in less than two seconds. Okay. Good to know. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? I would point them to celebritymethod.com because that is my website where they can find all kinds of stuff about me. All right. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? Get up at 4.30, plan your day ahead of time, and work your butt off and do deep, deep research because most people are lazy these days. Okay. Thank you, Jason. This has been a lot of fun. I wish you and, and lots of luck for the book, Agent of Influence, and all your adventures. Thank you. I appreciate it. I dug Jason's insights and I dig our sponsors. Check them out. I really appreciated Jason's take on doing the deep research on somebody that you're trying to persuade. And I think the other reason most people don't do it is because that takes a whole lot of time and they think it'd be easier to, I don't know, just ask 500 people (laughs) instead of doing deep research on five people and making an outstanding request. But I would hazard to guess depending on what you're asking and what you're offering, you would be better served by doing deep research and reaching out to far fewer people because it's all too easy to just quickly hit the delete key on the email or sort of move along rather quickly. So thanks to Jason for sharing the good word. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep450. If you haven't already, I hope you'll push subscribe to catch our next guest. It's Art Markman. He is sharing cognitive science insights to help you be better on the job. Hope to catch you there. Peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, Check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.